In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, this world tends to put Christians on the defensive. Gets tiring. Having to explain the unexplainable. Gets tiring. Finding a loving God in the midst of a world this sinful, this dark, this evil. I'm tired of having that conversation. Loving sinners while calling sin what it is, wrong. All the while being called small-minded, backward bigots who would rather cling to a myth than face a cold reality, who use their imaginary God as an excuse for all of it. I gotta tell you, it leaves us looking for a Herod a long time before we're willing to look for a Christ. Sounds terrible. Maybe is. But it's what the kingdom of glory wants. See, if somebody has to bleed, I'd rather it not be us. If somebody threatens to make us less, I'd rather fight back and find somebody else to fight for me because we have a lot to lose. We have so much that is precious. And how quickly does that shift our focus from things of God to the things of this world? It's so much easier to go looking for a Herod than a Christ because Herod, he can do something about all this. There's a new king, you say. Less than two years old, male. I know a way to fix that. I'll just send my army house to house to massacre, to murder. It was the very same sentiment that we have that led to such a slaughter. If someone asked to bleed, I'd rather it not be us. After all, anything to keep health, wealth, and luxury. I see why we want them, I really do. I'm kind of fond of it myself. I understand the desire to find something that fights back to find a God who protects us by smiting the evildoers, who lets me have all of the things that I would make idols out of. Herod's fears are really no different than mine, no different than yours. They are rooted in sin, the fear of the loss of earthly power, the fear of the loss of possession and of life. It drove Herod into even deeper sin and finally into unbelief. See the damage that idolatry would work. See just how far it would drive that King Herod. He would not only seek his daily bread apart from God. He would seek to replace God. He would seek to kill God. I'm tired of being looked down on too. I'm tired of worrying about whether or not my job is even going to be legal by the time I'm old enough to retire. I understand why I'd go looking for a Herod, a fighter, to make sure I never have to worry about any of those things, but 
even though the Magi went looking in the kingdom, went looking in the palace, they didn't find who they were looking for. Because when God came into a hostile world, he would be everything that Herod wasn't. Our Lord did not come to fight back. Even as Herod kicked in doors, going house to house, our Lord would not fight back. He did not rise up to slay the king. And we can wonder at that baby in the manger. We can imagine Jesus, the toddler, but this is God made flesh. This is the very same God who commanded the angels that came to shepherds. This is the God who shaped the very star in the sky that pointed to his own birth. It would have taken but a thought, a thought from that Christ child to end Herod and overthrow his kingdom. But our Lord ran carried by Joseph to hide in Egypt until Herod would die, because Jesus, our Messiah, is not an earthly king, but a heavenly one. He is not an earthly ruler, but a heavenly savior. And he showed us what kind of savior he would be, everything that was promised, and whether we like it or not, everything that was needed. He would be the Messiah that the Magi came to worship. They kneeled in front of a little child, and they gave him gifts that showed they knew exactly who he was. They gave him gold and frankincense, golden incense, which burned in the Holy of Holies, where God himself would rest over the Ark of the Covenant. This child was God. This child made flesh, made weak, made lowly, made fragile, was God. But they also gave him myrrh, which is a burial spice which is what Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea used to wrap his very body that night. This is God who has come to die for us. They knew what he would grow up to be. Understand that gifts that they gave him were not trinkets, but confessions of faith, creeds. They brought the Holy of Holies and a tiny little coffin to his parents because they knew what we were up against. Even they, rulers from on kingdoms afar, even they, with power and wealth and health that we would dream of, they were afraid too. But they came to bow before the king who would come into this world to bleed and die that they would live. This Jesus would grow up to stare down Pilate even as he sat down in the judgment seat and even again would not fight back, would not slay Pilate, but allowed himself to be slain for you. Our Lord, even as he was mocked on that cross as he bore your sins and mine, your idolatry and mine, he would not come down from this cross. Here, he would bleed and die for you, that your sins would be forgiven you, that your fears would be forgiven you, that your idolatry would be forgiven you. Our Lord came into this world not simply so that a few might have more, but that all might have life. He bled and died that we would live, that we would no longer be the sum of what kingdoms we can build for ourselves. We would be those who have victory over every tragedy and evil and sin that can be worked in this world by ourselves or anyone else. He has died and he has risen. Your sins are forgiven you. 
Your salvation is secure. He has not abandoned you. Look around. I know that this world tends to put Christians on the defensive. Earthly kingdoms have risen and fallen. They may well continue to do so, but none of those things can put your God back in the tomb. He is still risen. He knows what you're up against. And he actually agrees. God would rather, if somebody has to bleed, that it not be you. So he bled for you. He died for you. And he rose again. All of the things that we're so afraid of, all of the things that keep us up at night, they are already conquered in him who conquered death itself. What fears that worry us and drive us to such idolatry. They are soothed in the knowledge that Christ has given us a victory that nothing can rob us of. He has given us a life that is not bought with gold or silver or any of the other things that we covet. He has given us a life not simply given to the powerful to take from others, but given to the lowly that even death itself would not rob us. This Jesus is our Messiah, our Savior, our victor over sin, victor over the world, and victor over death itself. In him, we shall live. So when confronted with fear and tragedy and pain and and death, we do what the Magi did. We go. We actually go and kneel before God, looking for shelter. That's why they were there. Christ was present to save, so they went. When you're afraid, when you're beaten down, when you're dying, when you're weak, and when you're guilty, go. Seek the Lord where he has promised to be found. He has given you the same signs and rejoice. Your God is here. He is actually here, present to save. Light comes into a dark world, and darkness cannot overcome it. Today, we are not guided by a star, but by a church. But we kneel around the very same Savior, for the very same Christ who has made flesh, the Magi knelt before. He makes himself present here, upon this very altar for you. And here, you kneel before him as well. Here, we kneel before God made flesh to eat and drink body and blood, to find forgiveness, to find life, to find shelter and salvation. Nothing in this world can snuff that out. And so in Epiphany, we rejoice because God comes to save his people. And today he shows us how. In the name of Jesus, amen.